0: Hello and welcome, friends. It is episode 54 of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. My name is Brent Ax. It is great to have you here. If you found us on the link on Syracuse.com or on social media, we thank you for that. But just a reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast to make sure new episodes arrive and you can listen to them on your time. iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts, hit that subscribe button, not only to get this podcast, but our new football podcast, the Syracuse Football Podcast. Stephen Bailey and Julian Wiggum twice a week breaking down Syracuse football. It's been great to listen to that the past couple episodes that they have done and the SU football fan will absolutely want to subscribe to that. Speaking of Syracuse football, it was a pleasure to welcome with today's guest on the Syracuse Sports Podcast, Don McPherson, of course the quarterback of the 1987 undefeated Orange Heisman Trophy runner-up All-American and one of the greatest quarterbacks in Syracuse football history but those that know Don know that he's very passionate about another subject. He has spoken across the country about this and now has written a book. It's called You Throw Like a Girl: The Blind Spot of Masculinity. It's a book that's available at amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, all the usual places that you get your books. Don is actually going to be on campus this weekend. If you're listening before these dates, great opportunity to go catch up with Don and grab an autograph and get your book signed. The SU bookstore at the Shine Student Center, Saturday, september fourteenth at one PM, right before the Syracuse Clemson game, and then Sunday, september fifteenth, at the Barnes and Noble in DeWitt. So if you're in central New York and have a chance to stop by, I highly recommend that you grab Don's book and get a chance to get it signed. If you're just listening and want to order the book, you can find it on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and all the usual places you can order your books. Don and I talked about a number of things today, including his book and the message of it, his playing days, favorite Coach Mac memory. We did discuss his Heisman in 1987, and yes, I said his Heisman, that went to Tim Brown. He has some great thoughts about that. And why does cow urine come into this conversation? I know it's unique, but it's a good story. I think you'll want to check it out. Here's my conversation with former Syracuse quarterback Don McPherson. Don McPherson's here. Good to see you, sir. Good to be seen. The book is <laughs> You Throw Like a Girl, The Blind Spot of Masculinity. Uh, I want to get into certainly the contents of the book and the message of the book. But Don, everybody I've, I've talked to that's written a book, <laughs> I want to ask you about it. But, what was that process like for you? Was this your first one?
1: It's my first one. Actually, it's it's my second one, but it's the first one I've gone to publication. So many years ago, when I first retired from football back in in the nineties, I wrote a book that I never. I, I had no idea what I was doing, and it turned into be this this long uh, labyrinth of, of a manuscript that w- went endlessly on and on. And and I love to write. And so um, it's, it's cathartic for me, it, it's what I like to do in my downtime. I'm, my mind goes crazy at night, so it's a way for me to get, get a lot of things out of my head, and um, it's a stress reliever in, in a lot of ways, and so this process, because of this, the significance of this book um, and things that have happened in recent years, uh, a publisher came to me and said, you should write a book, and I said, I already have, and, and then, and then the, the real tedious process happened, you know, writing is easy. I think it was Hemingway that said writing is easy. It's it's editing that's hard. Uh, it's editing that, that that's really the difficult part. And that's and that's what the last two years has been.
0: So I was going to say, all told, about two years, process, everything. I'm sure a lot of those thoughts, though, have been building up for years and what you've been doing with all your talks throughout the years, right. too.
1: This book I wrote originally in the early 2000s. And as I tell the story in the book about how I was even on Oprah on this topic, Oprah gave me the name of, of a publisher, and that publisher essentially said that the people who need this book, men, don't buy books. And the people who buy books don't need this book. And so the letter that I got, the rejection letter that I got from that publisher, is in my book currently. Because I'm making the point that I felt that that was sexist against men. I think men do read it. I think men do care about being better fathers and better husbands and better sons and and this and that's what this book is about
0: when you just said it right there,
1: <laughs> Oprah,
0: <Yes>. I mean. <laughs> What was that experience like?
1: It, that was one of the, you know, for, for a guy that that played professional football and, and walked into stadiums, you know, like the Sugar Bowl and, and, you know, the Carrier Dome and the Dome. There's nothing like being in that studio with this woman who um, arguably is the most, one of the most influential people on the planet. And, and so to be on her show, to be sitting on the set and have her come out um, and, and the the noise in that studio at that moment was just and to see her, uh, she was she was as and you recognize why she's so significant because she is so charming and so approachable. Um, and yet so intelligent and, and piercing in the way that she uh, just examines everything that's around her.
0: Have you ever had a chance to talk to her since?
1: No, I haven't. Uh, and I, and people, so many people say, oh, you should reach out to Oprah for this. And she reach out, Every five minutes, people would tell me I should reach back out to her. But um, I had a good report. with her. I was in her magazine, and that's what led to the show. Um, but I haven't I haven't talked to her since. All
0: right, we'll have to start a, a hashtag yeah. campaign <laughs> yeah, or something. Right, right. Get Donnie back on, on Oprah. <laughs> So you have been delivering this message for a number of years that, that's in the book. But what do you center in on the book? Is, is it lessons? Is it, it things that, that men can take away from masculinity? What What is the central message of, of the book?
1: When I originally wrote the book, the title was You Throw Like a Girl. And the central message of that is is that I ask men, what's the worst insult you ever heard as a little boy? And that's where that comes from. And, and two messages in that. One is that boys, at that, at that moment we hear that, it's time to man up. Suck it up, man up. It's it's what leads to fights. It's what leads to what we use in sports to 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 inspire. Uh, but the second message you you're saying that women and girls are less than, and and that's what leads to violence against women collectively and and then our collective silence about it. What's changed for me, especially in the last five years, is the need because my work has always been about engaging men in that conversation. But the the subtitle is the blind spot of masculinity. What the blind spot is, I've spent the last twenty-five years on this issue and the needle really hasn't moved very much. Women have, have been more vocal. Women have with the Me Too mo- movement have been have been disclosing and saying more and, and and some laws have changed, but not not a lot. Title IX has been around since the early 70s, so that's not really something new. We've just applied it differently. But what really needs to happen is that part of men's, our privilege is men. And men, sometimes people who have privilege don't want to hear that they have a privilege. But as men, our privilege is that we have not had to talk about this issue. And so we don't. We haven't had to talk about and examine masculinity. We have power. And the way that power maintains itself is to not be examined. And so we haven't examined masculinity. The problem with that is that the, the, the world around us is, is evolving. And we as men are not. We are still being stubborn, sticking our head in the sand and toughening up, man up, all, all that those, those, those that sort of mantra in that ways as we live. That's the blind spot. That keeps us from a robust conversation among men about who we are and how we raise our sons. And and this is not, as I mentioned this early in the book, there needs to be a pivot away from having this conversation with men just because of the issue of violence against women. Because in a way that we have this conversation with men because we care about who men are.
0: It's amazing that you come from this background down in football, the most masculine sport of all, right? You're taught to be tough, you're taught to suck it up, you're right. taught to play through pain. So, is this an instinct with men that they have to fight or is this a taught behavior in in sports, you know, let's
1: let's be honest, does kind of fuel it? A little it bit. is completely learned behavior. You know, boys are. You know, if, if you ever see little boys, they're sweet. They cry. They're more. Sometimes they're even more emotional than girls. And we start to beat it out of them. Research has been has been done long, long, long time ago about how we treat children when they're infants we right, we put boys in blue we put girls in pink we, we're more likely to pick up a, a girl baby if she's crying and we're to pick up a boy we'll ferperize them like in meet the Farkas, right we'll toughen them up suck <laughs> them up right. don't cry little boy and so it, it's it's learned behavior and it's and so the minute a boy starts to demonstrate anything if he wears his mother's shoes the, the homophobia comes out and we tell him to take those off And and anytime he starts to demonstrate anything that and our homophobia comes out and, and so and, and part of that is because we instinctively know that if he does that, he's going to give up his privileges as a boy, because if he if we think he's gay, he's going to give up those privileges. And so that privilege is there uh, in, in how we nurture and raise boys and we don't allow. And, and I grew up in, in, in sports. I am, you know, I, I, one of the things that um, not many people know, I used to listen to five songs before every football game. Or excuse me, five. And then it became six, um, and I actually want to write a book around those six songs. Six songs of of inspiration is what I want to call it. But two of those songs were from the film Yentel. and and one was Amazing Grace, and one was another. None of it was loud or violent, or or uh, it was all about grace. It was all about uh, living within yourself. It was all about being in, living in your wholeness and being all of who you are. Um, and so. This notion that because football is this tough sport, that we are tough guys. I wasn't a tough guy. I'm not a tough guy. Um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a pacifist, right? And, and so, um, but I was able to, to play the game. And, and I think I think one of the things that, that, that we've seen very recently is, is Andrew Luck's re- res- re- resignation from, from the game. I, I think that he should be our role model in, in, in saying that my health and my family is more important than going out and knocking heads. You mentioned a
0: moment ago about how you know this is this message has been out there for so long and how much progress has really been made. And most of it's come from the women's side of mm-hmm. things, Me Too movement and everything. It seems like every week, I mean, here we speak and the Antonio Brown story is yep. in the news. And you hear about players like Tyree Kill and Kareem Hunt. And unfortunately, the list goes on and on where this tie is there. The NFL has claimed in recent years that they're trying to do more about this. Do you do you agree with that? Have you had conversations with them? Do you think they're serious about doing what they can to kind of curtail this issue?
1: As, as long as, as DeMaurice uh, and, and Roger are not talking. As long as the players are in, and, and they make this a... a Almost a, a, a partisan issue between the league and the players. The the problem. I and I don't, by the way, I don't think that CTE is, is the reason for a lot of the problems with, with players in post career. I think it's identi- I think it's identity um, and a whole host of other uh, other things. Um, I think mean, that's one part of it. Um, but the league is is only interested in protecting the league. And you know, let's be let's be real about this. If if they really wanted to do something, they would deal with the pipeline that's that's bringing them players. They would be they would be doing more work within in higher education in in football in higher education and be doing more, more work in football in in the, at the community in the youth level. Uh, just doing workshops, a ninety minute workshop once a year with their teams is not the answer. Just like on in, in higher education, the answer is not adjudication and, and all the title nine legal. Uh, um, uh, um, Offices that are on college campuses that are just trying to protect the institution, not trying to educate students. The league is is no different. You're not going to get a guy at 22 years old and in a 90-minute workshop changes behavior
0: what are the things that can be done to, to to make those stories just normal, just part of everyday life? Are we making progress there, do you think? You
1: know, we we, I th- we are making progress. and I, I think that's one of the things that, that the, the more that we talk about it, the more the problem presents itself to us and the more people are going to say things like, there's been bisexual players in the NFL forever. There's been gay players in the NFL forever. They just haven't been out. There's been gay people in, in, in our culture. This is not new. And, and and so many people think, oh, this is something new. It's not new. We are." All, and But part of what we're seeing is progress, is people – being allowed to live in their truth and live in their in their whole identity um, and, and with dignity. And I think even the one thing around football about raising boys in the game, there's nothing wrong. I love the, and, I, and I, I hate to say this because for years, I would argue that football was not a violent sport. Because I didn't see the violence in it as a player, I didn't see the violence in it. I saw a collision sport that was a tough sport, but to me, I saw the strategy. I saw the, I saw the, the the mechanics of it, uh, and then I uh, my first game as a sideline reporter with ESPN, and I saw op- the opening kickoff East Carolina West Virginia. I said, Good lord, this is <laughs> this is a violent game, and because I saw it from obviously from a different perspective, but I still enjoy that. I, I enjoy the violence of the game. I enjoy the, And that doesn't mean, as I used to say when I first started doing this work, that I learned to be tough on the field, but I didn't stiff on my sister to get to the dinner table, right? So you, we, we socialize behavior at home about how you're supposed to behave. Doesn't, it doesn't mean you don't go out there and you do tough things. You, you, guy, people have tough jobs, right? But you come home and, you're, and you're, you're a gentleman. You're a part of a family, and that comes with a certain amount of rules.
0: little football yeah, memory with you. What are you most recognized for? When you people recognize you and the football comes to mind, what's the what's the most common thing people discuss with you?
1: Probably uh, what people discuss. Uh, I think it, it you know it's funny. It depends. If I talk to African American people, they remember that I was one of the first black quarterbacks that sort of came on the scene in a big way um, in the late eighties. Although there were guys before me like Randall Cunningham and Warren Moon and and Doug Williams who were my contemporaries, and then you go back to Joe Gilliam and and and. Uh, Bernie Custis here at Syracuse and a number of others, and so. Um, but I, I, I that's what I get remembered for at that time. And people say to me, "Oh man, if you came out today, you know your style of play uh, would have been appreciated today like it wasn't back then." And that's probably probably the most prominent thing I hear.
0: What's your favorite coach, Max? Story.
1: Oh, <laughs> I know there's a hundred. You, you're gonna you're, yeah. gonna you're gonna make me cry, um, because it's 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 not even during the, my playing days. It, it, it was I mean, I really this is this is it's 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 an emotional one because Mac would always bring somebody around. He always had somebody around the program, whether it was a kid with disabilities or, or you know an old timer who was who was just wanted to be around. Who he got a note from, uh, you know, he always brought people around, and he cared about people. And we thought it was a lot of bull. You know, we were 18, 20 years old, 20 old kids. Like, here he goes again. You know, some other speech about how to, you know, love each other. You know, we say, love him up. Somebody messes up. Love him up. That was one of his things. And many years after, and I, I won't go too deep into this, but many years after, he and was, he and I were going to the Thousand Islands to uh, play in a golf outing or something. And, and bef- the night before, he calls me and he says, hey, would you mind if we stop and see this guy? Because his, his wife just passed away, and he would love to see you. He's a fan. Long story short, we get lost. I, Of course we go, and we get lost getting off the road. And Mac, people don't know, he was Mr. Magoo behind the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> for, for the people who don't know that age reference, just Google Mr. Magoo and watch Mr. Magoo driving. I'm glad that, I got that, that, right. that, that So we're pre-GPS. <laughs> okay, yes, yeah. okay, right. Pre-GPS, Mac yeah. had no idea where he was going. A stop sign was optional. I mean, he just... <laughs> <laughs> he, he just... And so we got lost, and we ended up getting to this guy's house. After forty-five minutes, he Max said, "Oh, it's ten minutes off the road." We were we were an hour and a half off the road, off of eighty-one. We get to the guy's house. We're there for maybe five minutes, a maybe ten. Um, the guy was completely clearly distraught and, and um, was appreciative of of us stopping by, but at the same time was you know not ready for visitors. And we left, and I was walking through the car, thinking to myself, "What a waste of time this was." I feel bad for Mac that this guy kind of, and and we get in the car and we're driving down this road, and, and and Mac is quiet, and we get to the end of this guy's long road to the, to uh, the main road, and Mac just says, "That was good, that was good," and I I was, I, like to it still it still gets me because I realized in that moment that he was that sincerely a good person. And we always knew he was a good guy, um, but you played for him. So he had to be a jerk on some level, right? Because he told you you weren't going to play that week or he told you that you had to go to class or he he had to be that authoritarian. But um, he truly, truly cared. And and that's that's my favorite Mac moment because that's when it like it all came full circle i appreciate
0: you sharing that i've heard a lot of stories like that i've been fortunate to talk to people that play with them or even sean mcdonough i think sean yes. told the story at, at Max's funeral how he got him through school and kept him there and yep. here's comes full circle sean mcdonough is going to be back in town this weekend he is not only calling the clemson game he's getting the highest alumni award you can get at syracuse university and, and coach mac you know Put him on that map. Put him path. on the map. I'm going to yeah.
1: be. I'm. Be, I'm emceeing that dinner tomorrow night for for Sean. So excellent. It, it's. It's. And. And you're right. He did an outstanding job at Max' funeral, uh, uh, p- presenting the eulogy. It was just. It was. It was amazing. Yeah.
0: You uh, played in the in the Canadian football. <laughs> I've never talked to you about this. And you you brought up. You and I were talking before we recorded. Uh, there was a, a comedian. Yeah. It was Paula Poundstone. I think it was Paula right? Poundstone. Yeah. How she described Canada. That's kind of how. Yeah. You remember your,
1: your Canadian yes, Football she, League days? She said yeah. Canada's like your attic. You forget it's up there, and then you go up there, and you're like, look at all this crap. <laughs> there's, <laughs> hey, there's a whole thing up there. I remember that, yeah. <laughs> there's a whole world up there. And I love going back up to Canada because I had such a great time. I, I hated the game. But I loved Canada, right? The three downs. I was a, you know, I grew up watching football in the 70s, in the 60s, in the 70s. So, you know, guys like Sonny Jurgensen who would waddle up to the line of scrimmage and survey, you know, unlike Peyton Manning who was... You know, uh, given directions, some of would just kind of like survey the landscape before he called the play. And in the CFL, the, the, the game clock was 20 seconds. There's three downs. I, my first game, I spiked the ball on on, on third down, uh, and everyone looked at me like you're a jerk. You know, we got to go off the field. Um, so it, I didn't. I wasn't very really fond of the game. Uh, I loved the confinement of of the, of the NFL, the American game. Uh, but I did. I did love the players. I did love the people. And and to me, that's the game. The game uh, are the people, and and so I had a decent career. Had a couple of good games up there. wasn't great um, by any by any stretch, but uh, I enjoyed I enjoyed living up there and playing up there. But uh, the game, the CFL game, was just not for me. Just
0: a little different. was a little different. Uh, You played, of course, in the dome here. But did you have any like blizzard games up there? Any bad weather? Canadian? You know, we played a
1: game uh, in, in in right before the Grey Cup in Winnipeg. And it was so cold, the field to keep the field from freezing, they they smeared cow urine on the field <laughs> to, to keep it. And they gave us all these rubber shoes because the field was frozen. I mean, it was I don't know how many degrees. Does that work? I don't know. I don't. All I know is that no one wanted to get tackled. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that one. It, before. it was in probably the the ninety two Grey Cup, maybe or ni- in, in Winnipeg that they did this, and I and I. I remember them. Who knew? Who knew? Wow! I don't know if they You know what? I don't even know if they actually did it. That was the rumor that they're going to smear. They're going to they're going to lace the, the field with, with cow urine to keep it from freezing.
0: That's incredible. That's incredible. Otherwise,
1: it's going to be a sheet of ice. Yeah. All
0: right. I know you'll be humble about this, but I have to say it because you're right across from me. All right. Tim Brown stole your Heisman in 1977.
1: No. Yes, he, he did. He didn't steal what the voters. Did. <laughs> The voters' day. Exactly. You know, I, exactly. I I vote on a couple different awards now. Um, the Dave O'Brien, the Maxwell, and I I'm a pollster for the National Football Foundation, and I'm always at ten o'clock, eleven o'clock at night. I'm always tweeting out something. Do not go to bed. Why I was I was one. I had to get up early in the morning last week to to I forget where I was going, get an early flight to Maryland or wherever I was going. But I was up watching USC Stanford. Uh, to 1 o'clock in the morning. Because as a voter, you have a responsibility to do that, to watch the West Coast games, to watch all, as many games as you can. And back in, in the 80s, no one, people didn't see us on TV. You know, if, if you weren't on TV, people didn't see you. So people didn't see – and they voted – listen, I'm I not even say Tim Brown. I love Tim. Tim's a great player. But Tim wasn't even the best wide receiver in the country that year. And, and so, you know, they, and, and this is nothing against Tim Brown because he's one of the greatest – players that ever play the, play the game guys play the game but that year he wasn't even on the all-america team as a wide receiver they they put him on the all-america team as a specialist and so it was it was a popularity contest back then. It was Notre Dame and, and the, Notre Dame's mystique in his junior year. Uh, it, you know the, vote, the way the voting w- went that year. Lorenzo White should have won the Heisman Trophy his sophomore year and and didn't have such a great senior year. So you know it, it was just the, the, the way voting went at the time. It's and funny. by the way, one thing yeah. I always say sure. yeah. I wasn't the, and, I, and I mean this very sincerely and this is not even a, you know hyperbole. I wasn't the best player in my huddle much less much less the best player in the country I might have been the most you know popular quarterback but Daryl Johnston was in my huddle Rob Moore was in my huddle uh, uh Blake Bednarz and 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 uh, um, uh, Robert Drummond was in my huddle I mean there were some ball players on that team uh Tommy Kane and and uh, Pat Kelly I mean there was some ball players on, on that team.
0: And it seems like you know, I've been somebody that has advocated that there should be two Heismans, one for offense, one for defense. Yeah. Think how many amazing defensive players that fit that qualification, the best college football player in the United States, right. have just been looked over.
1: You know, and, and, and I get it. I mean, I'm, I I know I might sound like a, you know, I don't know what I'm saying, but there's no way to say who's the best player in the country. I mean, I, I it's an award. It's an award. It's fun. All the the, pattern, the pageantry of it, uh, but you're you're exactly right. You know you you can't you can't look at you can look at some guys playing now on the defense side of the ball, and and there are some football players out there. And just because some quarterback throws up some great numbers because he's throwing the ball sixty times a game, um, doesn't doesn't match what the talent is on on the other side of the ball. I did tell Tim
0: Brown that once too I had the opportunity
1: <laughs> to interview him. I, but I guarantee you what he said. He said you must be from Syracuse right away. He said you must be from Syracuse,
0: <laughs> and then he quoted the vote differential. (laughs) Like, he remembered it. So he's like, you'll have to take it up with them. And he was a
1: good sport. You know what's really interesting is that 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 on the day of was more stressful for him than it was for me. Because, and I I told the story way back when, on Monday he was a lock. On Tuesday he was a lock, but, you know, it's going to be interesting. By Friday, who knew who was going to win it? And, and and it was all it was all the pressure was on him, not on me. I mean, I you know we weren't even ranked by week five. I wasn't even in a Heisman talk until week five of the season. So uh, it, for for me and for us, it was a, it was just an unexpected ride.
0: One final thought from you, Don. Uh, as we speak, we're on the cusp of Syracuse Clemson first sold out game since mm. 1998, and I think no matter what happens in this game, Clemson is. Look, they're the best team in the country. Yeah. They, they they ran over Alabama right. in the national championship yep. game. So I don't think the season really hinges on this game one way or the other, but it's just amazing to feel what we're feeling and the buildup to this game. The alums they are going to be back, yourself mm-hmm. included, the sold-out crowd, just leading up to this. little air taken out of the game last mm-hmm. week. You know as well as anybody, that's football. You can have a bad day like this. But what, what's been your view of Syracuse football climbing back to – to the spot they're at now. Now they have to maintain it, and how Dino Babers has changed his program.
1: If you go back two years ago, when they beat uh, Clemson at home a couple years ago, um, everyone compared it to the Nebraska game from 1984, which is a, a good comparison. And there was a little slide after that, and there's always going to be a little slide. I mean, that was a that was a a, a seminal moment. Uh, but then to come back and have a 10 win season is putting things in, in the in the right path. And, and I hope that now that we, there's a sellout and people go to the to the dome and they feel. That energy that this this town can bring to a football game, the way it brings to a basketball game, you know, on most nights, um, that that you know that the program is going in the right direction. It's going to take time, and and um, so so I think that this game uh, is significant because. There's a national television audience, and as you mentioned, Sean McDonough and, and ESPN's A team is going to be here uh, uh, for this game. And so I think that the the program's going in the right direction. Recruiting is is a is a long process, um, and I think that th- I think things are heading in, in the right direction. Uh, and I just hope that the fans who come out this weekend will continue to come out in those numbers because that's what's going to make the, this team better. Because then now people are going to see the excitement. They can see Syracuse football is back to where it was back in the '90s.
0: I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about Tim Green getting his number retired and what an emotional uh, experience that's going to be not only on Saturday but thinking about Tim and everything he's going for and, and uh, going through right now and everybody raising money for ALS. And you know, there's just uh, going to be a lot of emotions uh, thinking about number
1: 72 on Saturday. And no question about it, Tim, Tim was a teammate and, and someone who – um, really was you know one of the one of the Renaissance men man of, of his time and just uh, all the things that he's done in his in his life and his career and and to, and for this community I, I think you, you can't d- deny how, how much Tim has been a part of, of of this town and been a part of of, of the game of football and advancing and, and advancing it in a way that I truly appreciate the way that he's advanced the game is not saying that uh, although he did some some broadcasting but he, he's written books and he's got a law degree and he's done all those things that um, that expands the identity of, of an athlete Don I can't
0: tell you how much I appreciate your time the book is You Throw Like a Girl The Blind Spot of Masculinity you can get it at Amazon.com you can also go see Don he is going to be at the SU Bookstore at the Shine Student Center on Saturday September 14th at 1pm signing books and then at the Barnes & Noble on Erie Boulevard in DeWitt Sunday at 1 p.m. So order the book, get the book, but if you want to see Don and get it autographed, those are two great opportunities.
1: Come out and say hello. It'll be good to see everyone. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank
0: you, bro. Thanks for listening to the Syracuse Sports Podcast. My thanks as well to Don McPherson for joining us today. Make sure you order his book, You Throw Like a Girl, The Blind Side of Masculinity, Available at Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and all the places you can grab your books. Please subscribe, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you can get it delivered to you whenever you want. If you are on iTunes, we would appreciate if you would rate and review this podcast as well. Please subscribe to the Syracuse Football Podcast with Stephen Bailey and Julian Wiggum to get their great insight on Syracuse football. We'll talk to you next time here on the Syracuse Sports Podcast.